Please take a seat. We can have our Bible reading now, which comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, and you'll find that on page 1041 in the Church Bibles. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In 1930, the age of 26, Gladys Aylwood set out for China, having been convinced that uh, she was called to preach the gospel in that country. She didn't have enough money for the boat, but um, she didn't have enough money for a train fare. And so with uh, her passport, her Bible, her tickets, and two pounds nine pence, she set out to travel to China by the Trans-Siberian <coughs> Railway, despite the fact that China and the Soviet Union were at war. She arrived in uh, Vladivostok, sailed from there to Japan, from Japan to Tientsin, and then by train, bus, and mule to the inland city of Yangchen in the mountainous province of Shanxi. Most of the residents there hadn't seen any Europeans before. They distrusted them and weren't particularly interested in uh, what so they had to say. 1973, Chuck Colson, Richard Nixon's right-hand man who died earlier this year. He announced in the middle of the Watergate affair that he'd become a Christian and given his life to Christ. And although not implicated in the, the burglary himself, and going against legal advice, because of his new Christian conscience, he voluntarily confessed that he was guilty of obstructing justice and spent seven months in prison. In 2012, last Friday night, Saturday morning, Philip Hewer left his wife in his cosy home and walked around the streets of Tame in the freezing cold as a street pastor, looking out for those in need. Three different people, different times, different places. And yet, what all they had in common was that they were prepared to give up their comfort because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were prepared to follow him wherever that might lead. A journey to China in 1930, a term in prison, a night on the streets in Tame. Not necessarily pleasant experiences, and yet when you're doing them for the Lord, they become very joyful experiences. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the fear of commitment. And so far we've looked at different things that hold people back from giving their lives to Jesus Christ, or maybe giving them fully to Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the fear of rejection. Before that it was the fear of being the least. Because whilst the world promotes success and achievement and self-promotion, Jesus says true greatness lies in being the least. Well, this morning we come to probably the most challenging passage in this particular series, 
where there's no getting away from the fact that to follow Jesus is costly. That doesn't mean to say that it's not the best life that we can choose. I certainly believe it is, as many people do here this morning. But it's not necessarily the easiest. Jesus' call to follow him means putting him first before anything or anyone else. It's a radical discipleship that he expects. And what we see in this passage that Naomi read for us are three people who on the surface are making quite reasonable requests. But what they're really doing is actually negotiating with Jesus so that he can be part of their lives, but not number one. And as we read it on on a plain reading, it looks here that Jesus is coming across as uncaring and unreasonable. But what he's trying to do here is make a point about the cost of discipleship. So what is the point he's trying to make? Well, first of all, following Jesus means putting him before comfort and security. Jesus is with his 12 close disciples. They're walking along the road. And a man approaches them and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. It's a bold statement. He's saying, look, I want to follow you, not just be part of the crowd, but follow you as a close disciple. What does Jesus say? Well, instead of thinking... Great, another follower. I can notch that one up. That's 50 this month already. I'm going to meet my targets for the month. They point out to him that actually it's, not easy, it's easy to say that, but it's not so easy to do it in practice. He needs to know what the cost is. And so Jesus replies with this little phrase. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Unlike that cat there. What is he getting at here? Well, why do foxes make holes? Why do birds make nests? There are the two main reasons. One is for security, and the other is for comfort. You make a hole in the ground, and the only thing that can come in after you is something that is smaller than you. You're protecting yourself against bigger enemies, foxes are. Remember when we visited Vietnam several years ago now, we went down the, the tunnels in the jungle that the, the Viet Cong had, uh, had made um, to escape from the, the American soldiers. Um, followed the same principle. Uh, the Americans were bigger. They found it difficult to get down these small holes, and if they did, they got often stuck down a tunnel or killed by booby traps. Birds build nests in, in trees because predators like uh, cats like that can't, um, can't reach them. Our society, isn't it, is obsessed with security. And not just physical security, locks on doors, burglar alarms, but health and safety, financial security, savings accounts, investments, pensions, health insurance. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Unless we put more trust in them than in Jesus Because there's always more we could do to make ourselves more secure, humanly speaking. But there's never as much as Jesus can do. Security and comfort. Birds and foxes don't just find um, secure places. They make themselves somewhere where they can feel comfortable. Whereas in contrast, Jesus says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, it doesn't mean he never sleeps in a bed or has a cushion for his head, after all, in the training session we looked at last Saturday morning. Um, We looked at how Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat um, with his head on a cushion. 
but it means he has no place which he can call his own, where he can go and lay his head and say, this is my home. He's given up the right to say, this is my home. He's dependent on hospitality and generosity of others. What does that say for us today? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean as his followers that we have to to sell our homes and all become travellers. We have to be careful how we read parts of scripture like this. Because if no one had any homes, then Jesus wouldn't have been able to experience the hospitality of others, would he? But it's saying that your home shouldn't be the number one thing in your life. And it's not just a question of the size of your home. You can have a very small cottage and it still be the, the number one thing in your life where you spend your whole time trying to improve and make it more comfortable. There's nothing wrong with making our homes presentable. But if all our time and all our money is spent on our homes, then we've probably got something wrong. Comfort is also not just about having a nice home and somewhere to lay your head. It's an attitude to life. Am I taking the the easy option, the comfortable option here? Am I avoiding discomfort? Am I avoiding difficulty? Is the Lord telling me actually to take on a task which will be uncomfortable, where I feel lacking in confidence at this time? Is he telling me to move to a new place and serve him in a different way? And am I ignoring him? Because I'm actually quite comfortable, thank you very much. We're very pleased to have the the vote on the pastoral succession passed and to know that uh, uh, the church is uh, fully behind Liz and myself carrying on here. But so when we considered that issue, we needed to be clear that so we were staying here for the right reasons. That God has w- wanted us to stay here. We weren't just thinking, well, this is a nice, comfortable position. We've been here for a while now. We know people. It's easy to carry on. And so part of putting it to the vote was to receive that confirmation from the Lord. And I'm sure all those standing for leadership positions in the church coming up will take the same approach. What does the Lord want us to do? Another way of putting our comfort before Jesus is to stay at home, relaxing, rather than being out there in the world. I know there's a time when we need to rest and to to relax, and different times in our lives we'll need that more than others. But um, also some people may find getting out there, socialising harder than others. But I also know with comfortable homes, it's often very easy to stay Inside, And it requires a lot of effort to get out, to join a club, to go to a prayer meeting, to meet up with a friend. Following Jesus means giving up our right to comfort and security. It means engaging with our communities for Jesus' sake. It also means putting Jesus before custom and the crowd. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But it says the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, that's quite a reasonable request, you might think, particularly in that society where the burial of the dead was a very important social occasion, very religious occasion, took precedence over all other religious duties. One of the Ten Commandments was, honour your father and mother. What greater respect can you show them than giving them a proper burial? Jesus also showed great concern for his own mother. When he, even when he was on the cross, he, he made sure that she would be looked after. He said to John, here is your mother. 
we're told that he took her into his home. So why this strange reply then that uh, appears to show no respect for, for parents? Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Surely that is showing a complete lack of respect. Well, there are different interpretations of this. The commentators have grappled with it. Some will say that we're actually not sure that the father is dead yet. And that uh, the man is saying, well, let me go and look after him in his last uh, um, years. And when he dies, I'll be free to come and follow you. Some would also say, well, actually, he's more interested in making sure that he has his inheritance before he disappears off to follow Jesus. So again, it's a security issue. Well, we have to remember, whatever we think here, we have to remember that Jesus can see right into our hearts. He knows what is going on inside us. Remember that rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, um, Teacher, I, you know, I've kept all the commandments since I was a boy. How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus pointed out to him the thing that was most precious to him. He said, Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sad because he couldn't do that. That was his idol. That was the most important thing to him. And again, it doesn't mean we should all do that. Jesus was looking into his heart and pointing out to him his idol. Well, in this case, there is something, obviously, that is holding the man back. And the clue may be in the contrast Jesus makes between the dead burying the dead and going proclaiming the kingdom of God. To bury the dead is a, a religious duty that um, those who are spiritually dead can perform. In fact, the spiritually dead are quite good at doing religious duties. How many people who have no Christian faith, take their, their children, their babies, to a church to be christened, thinking, well, somehow that might make them Christians. How many people who have no faith get married in a church and make vows before a God they don't believe in? Because it somehow gives an air of respectability. How many people go to church at Christmas and sing Christmas carols, the words of which they have no belief in at all? For most people in this country, Christianity is about conforming to a set of rules and traditions. People don't understand that it's actually about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is not, look, you don't need to bury your father, don't worry about him. He's saying, don't let social custom be more important than your relationship with me. Don't let the expectations of the crowd be more important than your relationship with me. And so Jesus says, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Tell people that the real gospel is not about religious duty, about custom, custom. it is about God's grace. Go and tell those who are still alive who need to hear it before they die. There's a real urgency coming through here in Jesus' words. He's saying, go and proclaim the kingdom of God because people need to hear the good news. But what is the application again for us today? Well, even if we are Christians here this morning who have understood the gospel, who know that it's not about our works, it is about God's grace at work in our lives, we can still fall into that trap of focusing more on conforming 
on pleasing the crowd and growing in our relationship with Jesus. And part of that growing comes from proclaiming the kingdom of God. That involves telling people about Jesus, explaining the gospel. But interestingly enough, it is also about demonstrating to people that Jesus is first in our lives. He he comes before all these other things. He is the number one. And it's when people see that our lives are radically different from those of others around us that they'll be attracted to him. If it's just another hobby, people have got enough hobbies. They don't need another hobby. Following Jesus means putting him first before comfort, before security, before custom and the crowd, and finally, before pleasures and the past. Verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now again, surely you can't blame somebody for wanting to go and say goodbye before they go off and follow Jesus. After all, that's what Elisha did. Remember when Elijah called him to to be his successor? This is what um, Elisha said. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will come with you. He was allowed to go and do that. So what's the difference here between these two different situations? When 1 Kings, it also says this, it says, So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Elisha went back to sever his connections. This was him now starting out to follow Elijah. It was a break with the past, who was demonstrating his new priority in his life. In the passage here before us, Jesus sees that the man is actually here just making an excuse not to follow him. He'll go back to his family and he'll be persuaded actually probably better just to stay with them. The word translated family here is actually householders, it's those in my household. In other words, it's all that makes up my home. Back to my comfort again. Now we need to be clear here that Jesus is not saying that families are not important. Of course they are. It's that figure of speech that he uses, he'll use again in Luke 14 when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Of course he's not saying we should hate our families. It's a figure of speech to emphasise the fact we need to put Jesus first. But what about this this plough business? What's what's that all about? No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I must admit, if I'm doing a bit of gardening, a bit of DIY, I'm looking back every five minutes to admire what I've done, look at the difference I've made... But it's not looking back here in the sense of looking where you've come from, looking what you've achieved, looking at what God has done in your life. That is actually a very good thing to do, isn't it? As the women were looking at in the Connect group last week. It's great to be reminded of where we've come from, how much God has changed our lives. 
But looking back here is a hankering after the past. Looking back, wanting to be there, when really you should be looking forward. If you're ploughing, you can't plough a straight line unless you keep looking ahead. I think a modern day analogy would probably be driving a car. You can't drive a car and look over your shoulder at the same time. You're going to crash into something else sooner or later. There are other occasions in the Bible when God's people are criticised for for looking back. Do you remember when the Israelites were were rescued from Egypt, miraculously? They're in the desert. Only just a few weeks later, they've forgotten just what uh, God has done for them. They start grumbling and they say this, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. We ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And of course, there was Lot and his wife and their children rescued by God from Sodom and told to flee and not look back at that corrupt city that God was going to destroy. But we're told Lot's wife looked back. She was reluctant to leave that place they'd come from and turned into a pillar of salt. As J.C. Ryle, the um, 19th century Anglican bishop and writer said, those who look back want to go back. Those who look back want to go back. Jesus knew here that if that man went back, he would not go forward. Well, one of the things that might tempt us to, to look back, it's really the things that are of the world, isn't it? Looking back is trying to, to keep a foot in both camps. And as many of us have experienced, to our regret, regret it just doesn't work. But what are the warning signs we need to look out for? If we're not realising that um, maybe we have got a foot in both camps, that we are looking back, what are the warning signs to tell us that? Well, I think if you hear yourself asking questions like, how much do I need to give to be a Christian? How regularly do I need to, to come to church and meet up with other Christians to be a Christian? Can I still do this and all that and be a Christian? They're questions that betray what you would rather be doing. I want to be a Christian, but as long as I can still do this or that, you know, as long as I still have time to do something else which I'll enjoy doing more. Jesus called us to, to look forward and to put him first. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, that's all well and good, but why should I follow him? Why should I put him first? What, what's so attractive about following Jesus Christ? And the answer is because that is what he did for us. He came out of the greatest comfort, the greatest luxury you can imagine. He was there in heaven with surrounded by people worshipping him. And he chose to come to this planet with human beings and experience the worst suffering. But he came because he came with a mission, he came with a determination. His destination was the cross. His whole life was leading up to that point and he never looked back. Have a look at chapter 9, verse 51 over the page there. It says, At the time 
approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, the place of his death. We'll look on to chapter 13, verse 31. At that time, Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. We are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus, but the good news is that Jesus has done that first. He's been to Jerusalem. He's died on the cross so that we don't need to die. He's done the work for us that that we might be forgiven, that we might be made right with God. And so our destination is the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, where we will be with him and we will be with him forever. He is our focus and he is our goal. The question I want to leave you with this morning is, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus and put him first in your life without looking back? And for some of you here today, that may mean giving your life to Jesus for the first time. And there's no better time than today. For others who are already Christians, you may realise that Actually, without realising it, you're trying to to plough a furrow, but it's a crooked furrow, because you're looking back. You've got a foot in the world. Are you prepared to be wholeheartedly committed to Jesus and follow him wherever he takes you? Because if you're prepared to put Jesus first before comfort and security, before custom and the crowd, before pleasures and the past, You're proclaiming the kingdom of God. And you're proclaiming it to a world that needs to know Jesus Christ. Let's have a moment of quiet and um, just reflect on what has been said and pray to, to God on our own. And I'll pray. Father, as we read this passage and reflect on What it means for us today, we acknowledge that this is radical stuff. But we also are aware that what Jesus did for us was radical stuff. Lord, we thank you for what he did do for us. We thank you that he never looked back. That he knew his mission, he knew what he had to achieve and he did that because of his love for us and we thank you for that love and it's knowing that love that inspires us to want to follow him to follow him with all of our lives and yet we are still in the grip of sin we still know how much it drags us back and we pray that you would um, give us the power to resist give us the power to keep looking forward to not be tempted by comfort and security, by custom and the crowd, by pleasures and the past, but by your grace, your spirit, 
at work in us. Help us to keep focusing on Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.